Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. We've been talking about miracles for a number of weeks now, and you know what? The more we talk about it, the more we think about it, the more we read about it, the more I think I sure could use one of these miracles, maybe even two. I mean, which one of us couldn't use a miracle today? I mean, maybe there's a a health need in your body, in your life, or in the life of someone you love or care about. Maybe there's a a financial need that God could just miraculously take care of. Maybe there's a, a broken relationship. Maybe there's a wayward son or daughter or even grandson or granddaughter. And what you need is a miracle today. Boy, that would be fantastic. That'd be like winning the lottery or finding one of those golden tickets in your Willy Wonka chocolate bar. That's what we need, right? Well, if you remember, we've been talking about this whole miracle thing, and that is not at all how God works. There are no quick fixes in the Bible. Miracles were never intended to be God zooming in and zapping us and fixing everything and flying right back to heaven. God is very much involved in interested in, invested in the process of you and me growing in our faith and growing in our dependence to him. He's not about the quick fix miracle. There is so much more to the miracle story. This week's miracle is no different. In fact, when you open your Bible in just a minute to the Gospel of John chapter 9, hold on, we're going to do that in just a moment. When you open there, you're going to find that Jesus does this incredible miracle. I mean, a miracle the Bible says that had never been done before, and he does it all within the first seven verses. And then God has us stay in that story all the way to the end of that chapter, 35 more verses. I mean, Jesus did what only Jesus could do. The big finale, the climax, the moment we were all waiting for comes in verse number seven. It's kind of like, okay, buddy, you had your miracle. Move on. It's time for the next one. This is exciting stuff for us. And then God says, no, 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 no. Sit down. Hold on. Listen up. I've got 35 more verses of teaching about what just happened here. Apparently... In miracle stories, there's always more to the story. So, are you ready to read it? Open up to John chapter 9. We're going to start right there in verse number 1 because we love the miracle story. That's the the juicy part, but we're not going to leave out the rest because God took an entire chapter in his gospel to teach us something, and we don't want to miss what it is. So, if you have your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 9. If you have your cell phone, you can aim it at that little QR code pull up the Bible text and the sermon notes, or you can just watch the screen behind me. John chapter 9, verse 1. Let me read the whole miracle story that we're going to dig in and we'll see what happens. 9-1. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened, watch out, pay attention, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We're coming back to that. 
Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground and he made some mud with his saliva. He put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said to him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. That's the miracle story. As far as we know, this is the first time that a man or woman born blind had been given back their sight, and Jesus does it. This ranks as some of the, one of the greatest miracles in the entire Bible, in the entire history of humankind. It is awesome, and all within seven verses. Jesus actually even threw in a little bit of teaching right there in the middle. He didn't even need all seven verses, and yet... There's so much more to this story. Let's see if we can understand what it is. We're going to start right there in verse 1. First of all, we need to understand in any miracle story, Jesus sees you. It says it right there. And as Jesus went along, Jesus saw a man born blind. Now, this is not unusual. Jesus probably saw plenty of folks, especially Jesus because they were clamoring around him, following him pretty much everywhere he went. I bet he saw hundreds, if not thousands of folks every single day. What's so interesting about this? If we had the time, and I'll give you this for homework, if you were to go back to chapter 8, the chapter just before this, we would read a very emotionally charged experience had just happened even, even just a few hours before. Jesus was in a different place, a different city, and he experienced a very different kind of response from the people. They weren't coming looking for miracles. The Pharisees were coming, picking up stones to throw them at him, to stone him, to kill him on the spot. In the midst of that, the Bible says that Jesus walked right through them and left that place. He left that place. He came here. And the first thing Jesus does is he sees someone in need. How is that possible? Now, I've never had anyone picking up stones, trying to stone me, but I have driven on the roads here in Cape Coral, and it doesn't take much for me to lose my Christian focus on what is important and what is not important. I might stew and replay that video in my mind all day long into the next day, taking my focus off of what is truly important. The compassion that Jesus demonstrated, he was reviled in one moment, but he was unruffled in the next moment. He was always on. He was always looking. This compassion that Jesus demonstrates over and over and over again in the New Testament is illustrated here. He never missed an opportunity. Oh, but that that would be so for you and for me. What do you see when you walk through your life? Who do you see as you're walking through your life, your school or your family, your neighborhood, where you work, where you shop? Who is it that you see? Are, 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 are they opportunities? Jesus had every opportunity to, to see this guy, to walk past this guy, and yet he saw them. This word for see in the original language, it doesn't mean to, to glance at or to notice. It's that word that we've talked about before, that in-depth word where he, he literally stared at the guy seeking to perceive to understand what was going on below the surface. This is a word that God chooses to place here. This is a word that it always uses when Jesus saw someone. He sees below the surface. He sees the need. Let me get real specific in this particular instance. Jesus is seeing a man who is born blind, a man with a handicap. He was seeing a handicapped person, and he stopped cold in his tracks. 
in our world today, in America today, nearly every single couple that births a handicapped child will wind up getting divorced. 80%. Four out of five couples divorce when they have a handicapped child, blind or deaf, can't speak, can't walk, mental handicap. In our church, it's kind of unusual. We only have three elders, and two out of the three elders have handicapped children. We're beating the odds, brothers and sisters. My wife and I will be married 35 years next month. Yeah, Ramon and... Ramon and Josefina, they've been married well over 20. I should have asked them how many years, but certainly well over 20 years. Do you mind telling me? 20? Uh, I should ask Josefina. <laughs> Again? 20. Excellent. 20 years. We're beating the odds. Four out of five because it is so difficult. This, is, this incredible uh, difficulty. And, and, and Jesus sees this guy that other people would have walked past, looked past, looked through, had pity on folks. That is easy to see as the world sees. That is humanity 101. But God is calling us to so much more and so much deeper. You remember those bracelets? What would Jesus do? How about this one? WWJS. What would Jesus see? He would always see that guy. He would always see that gal. It is much harder, it is much more time consuming, and there is much greater commitment call, call to look past cliches, to look past prejudices, but to be willing to see and to see their suffering. I know so many of us already have so much baggage. We have our own things to deal with, our own hurts and pains and suffering and need for a miracle. But the only way we are going to see God move and work miraculously in our neighborhood, miraculously in our city, miraculously in our world, is if we first see our neighbor, feel their suffering, involve ourselves in their lives, and stop our incredibly fast uh, 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 turbulent lives to be a part of what they're going through. Secondly, God is calling us to ask the right question. Now look further in the story, verses two through three. Sometimes we actually ask the wrong question. We had this same problem in last week's story as well. Verse two says this. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him who sinned. This was a belief in those days for the Jews especially, but even all throughout that part of the world, that suffering or illness or handicaps came as a direct result of some kind of sin, either that person's sin or his parents or even his grandparents' sin. There was a direct correlation, kind of a good karma, bad karma kind of thing. And Jesus is saying that is not the case here. But what really bothers me about these guys is they were so interested in finding out the why they missed the what for. There was zero interest in helping this guy. There was zero interest in having, uh, excuse me, showing compassion for this guy. Instead, they wanted to use him as a, some kind of a case study to learn more theology. Folks, in our churches today, I see this over and over and over again that we get stuck in the thick theological woods and weeds of, of our daily life and we miss those who need our compassion, a touch of our hand and a touch of our heart. God is calling us to look at the people and not at the cause. 
looking at the cause is simply a way of us finding a reason why it happened to them and not to us. Because if I know what happened to them, I can compare myself to them and say, thank goodness I'm not like him and I'm not like her. God is calling us to look at the heart. But then, but then the Bible says this. Jesus never strayed away from controversy. Jesus never held back when there was something important to say or something important to teach. All throughout this miracle, we're going to see Jesus teaching. He says it right here. No, no, no. This happened not because of sin, but so that the works of God could be displayed in him. Hmm. I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. I mean, that's hard, Jesus. I don't, I don't know if, if we can just say that right out loud. I mean, I don't know that this guy ever signed up for this duty. It's not fair to put this on this guy when he didn't even ask for it. I mean, God, that's not right. That's, I can imagine this, this guy as a young child asking his mommy one day, Mommy, Mommy, why was I born blind? The answer cannot be, well, God did this to you so that his glory would be demonstrated through you. That is not what you say to a small child. And yet... Jesus is teaching that here. What did he mean? The child is born with incredible strength and grows up to become a world athlete and uses his or her athleticism to praise God and bring glory to God. We celebrate that when a child is born with with incredible musical talent and uses their voice or their, their ability to play an instrument for the glory of God, we celebrate that. When a young girl is born with an incredible intellect and she uses her mind to to cure cancer or to solve some big problem in the world, all for the glory of God, we celebrate that. We must come to a place where we can celebrate even the hard gifts. Here is the key. God has to become more valuable to me than what my suffering is threatening to take away from me. My health, my wealth, my wants. If the purpose in his suffering, the blind man's suffering, was to display God's glory, then it was worth all the suffering that he was asked to endure. Let's put a name to this. Let's not uh, beat around the bush. We're talking about cancer. We're talking about outliving your spouse. We're talking about outliving your finances. We're talking about broken relationships, not talking to kids or parents for decades. We're talking about, we're talking about uh, hurricane relief efforts that didn't get finished and you're still waiting on a roof. We're talking about real life issues. God allows those things in our lives to bring himself glory. Now, sometimes, sometimes the glory to Jesus comes when he heals fixes, changes, puts back together in miraculous ways, just like in the story with the blind man. And other times, his glory is shown, like remember the the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he prayed for three times, God, take this thorn in my flesh away from me. And God said, I will not, but rather I will be glorified in sustaining you through it. I don't decide which case you fall into. This guy didn't decide which case he fell into, but God is calling us to trust him for that. Thirdly, we need to understand that spiritual sight leads to radical obedience. Look at verses 6 and 7. So after this, Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, He put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. 
he made mud with spit and dirt, and he put it on his eyes. I don't care who you are. That's gross. Now, I know this is Jesus, and it's in the Bible, and lightning might strike, but I don't care who you are. I don't want your spit touching my face. Thank you, Jimmy. It is disgusting. He's from, he's from Staten Island, so it must, be, it must be really bad. And yet, and yet, Jesus chose to do it this way. Why? What is going on here? Uh, uh, he, he, uh, I, because this guy, you may be thinking, well, this guy, he didn't know any better. He was blind. He had no way of knowing what Jesus was doing. Actually, it's probably just the opposite. If you've ever, ever had a family member or a friend who had lost one of their senses, whether it's sight or smell or he or hearing their other senses kind of rise to the occasion and, and almost, almost completely take over that which is missing. This guy not only heard Jesus spit, he heard the kids in the background playing on the other side of the street. I, I know that he heard all the passerbys kind of stop and, and begin gathering around what was going on there. I almost believe this guy's ears, his ears were so in tune, he could hear the kneading of the mud between the fingers of Jesus. He knew exactly what was happening, and he still let it happen. Why? This wasn't just kind of some showy magic potion kind of invention for Jesus to put on a show in front of all the passerbys to bring himself glory. This was downright offensive, and not only offensive, it looked foolish to everyone who was there. Well, here's the deal. The Bible tells us that the gospel itself is foolishness to those who do not believe. That The Bible says that the gospel is, is, um, is offensive to those who do not believe. So if that is true, why did this guy let Jesus do that? Here's the promise that we need to understand. Spiritually desperate people, they are the ones who recover their sight. Spiritually desperate people, they are the ones that receive sight because desperation leads to obedience obedience leads to a miracle. Are you desperate enough for a miracle? Are you desperate enough for God to change your life into your life and begin doing the things that only he can do? This guy in this story, and if you were to read all the following verses, we're going to jump toward the end in just a minute, but you'll hear this guy, he gives zero pushback to Jesus. In fact, the only pushback he gives later on in the story is to the, the religious leaders who try to give their own pushback to Jesus himself. He is all in, fully surrendered. God can work with that. The contrary is also true. If you notice in your own life, there is a weakness in the area of discipline. There is a weakness in the area of obedience that is probably a desperation problem. Until we become desperate for God's help, knowing full well that we cannot control our future, too many of us are still convinced that we can solve all of our own problems. Why? Because God's ways are too strange. They're too otherworldly. Sometimes they're too burdensome. They're offensive to my friends. They look foolish to outsiders. Brothers and sisters, if you are here on a Sunday morning, you're probably, if not all the way, at least halfway in. If this sounds too foolish to you, you need to pray that God would help you understand God's boldness in this. He is asking us to, to be fully in and allow him to move in our lives. But this kind of desperation, it doesn't come with one prayer. This comes with years 
and extended times of depending on God and knowing that we cannot do it in and of ourselves. Number four, we need to understand that in the midst of a miracle, it is Jesus who finds us. Jesus finds you. Jump all the way to verse 35. The miracle has just happened. After the miracle, the guy goes out expecting to celebrate with anyone and everyone he can find. Just the contrary is true because the religious leaders begin giving pushback to him and, and anyone who's listening to him. He's not giving the answers they want, so they go to his parents, try to drag them into the situation. They say, hey, hands off. He's a grown-up. Don't get us involved. We don't want to get kicked out of the temple. We don't want to get kicked out of what you're doing here. Go back to him. They get him back in the hot seat. They begin grilling him again. At this point, he begins giving his own pushback. At the beginning, it was simply, well, I don't know who this guy was. I just know that before I was blind, and now I can see. And now we're saying, if you don't see this, Maybe there's something wrong with your eyes. At this, the Pharisees get furious, stomp their little feet, and say, you're out. And they cast him out of the temple, out of the community life of that time. And so he is out, and this is what happens right after this. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I might believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Okay, so what's going on here? He was cast out. What does that mean? He got kicked out of the church. Well, that's, that's too bad as friendships, as relationships, the, the investment of time, service, maybe even money. I guess that's kind of lost because he's no longer a part of church A. But at the end of the day, all he has to do is wake up and walk down to church B, right? That's all we're talking about. No, it was nothing like today. There were not 10 churches within a two-mile radius of this guy. The all... all of the, the religious, all the cultural, all the economic life was, was held up in that temple life. When they cast him out, he lost every opportunity of community, every opportunity of finding a job, every opportunity of finding a future wife, every opportunity of having any kind of connection to the community. He was publicly embarrassed and rejected and cast out. That moment of joy from seeing for the first time in his entire life was now completely dampened, if not deadened, by the fact that he had zero contact to those he loved and wanted to be a part of. And in that moment, the Bible says Jesus found him. When the Bible says Jesus found him, you got to remember, this is not the first time. Jesus had already found him once. You remember all the way back in verse number one, the Bible says Jesus saw him. That word see means to look at intently, to understand what's going on below the surface. Jesus was all dialed in in verse one. And the Bible says here in this point, and Jesus went back and found him. This word find means not just bumped into or saw him at Starbucks and struck up a conversation. This word find means after searching to have found someone, to search and then find Jesus was after him. This is so Jesus. What would Jesus do? He would go after those who have been cast out, who are hurting, who are lost. This is the way of Jesus. He chases me down. He fights till I'm found. He leaves the 99. There's no shadow he won't light up, no mountain he won't climb up. With a wall he won't kick down or lie, he won't tear down 
coming after you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's how Jesus does? When Jesus sees you, who cares who doesn't see you? When Jesus finds you, who cares who rejects you? If you have been found by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who cares what the world says about you? You have been found. This radically changed this guy's life. In fact, uh, right there it says it. This man believed and worshiped Jesus. This is huge. He had already received physical sight. That was a miracle. Verse 7, that was, for most of us, enough. He completed the miracle. We'll talk about it for thousands of years. But Jesus wanted more. Not only the physical sight, he wanted the spiritual sight as well. For the first time ever, not only his physical eyes, but even his spiritual eyes were open. And when he saw Jesus, his immediate response was to worship. That word worship means to fall prostrate or on your face down on the ground in front of Jesus. This was his only posture, his only response, all that he could do in the face of the Jesus who had just given him physical and even spiritual sight. He didn't care who was watching. He didn't care who was passing by. He didn't care who had just rejected him publicly or had shunned him for the rest of his life. He didn't care about, about houses and jobs. He didn't care about future income and retirement plans. He didn't care about broken promises and, and destroyed. He didn't care about anything. In full surrender, he falls face down in front of Jesus. He didn't care because he had been found. Brothers and sisters, believers, if this is sounding a little too extra for you, a little too over-the-top response for you, like, I don't know, I, I think you kind of overdid it. It could have been done in a much more relaxed and intimate way. There might be a blind spot in your heart as well. This was the only response available for him. And God is calling us to give the same response as well. And then finally, fifth, we, ha we must be careful that the blind does not lead the blind. Just jump all the way down to the end of the chapter, 39 and following. Jesus said, for judgment, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and said, what? Are now we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. What is going on here? The, the, the Pharisees, who are famous uh, enemies and, and, and anti-religious people to Jesus, he saves his best responses, his best jabs for the Pharisees. They come after him. They come after him hard. But Jesus doesn't let up a bit. And he says, listen, guys, here's the deal. I came into this world to judge the world. Now, hold on, you're saying. I read a bit of the Bible, especially the New Testament. I know all about Jesus and why he came. I didn't think Jesus came to judge the world. In fact, just the opposite, you say. I thought Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's in the Bible, too. Or what about the other verse we just read it this morning? Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. That's in the New Testament, too. So which is it, Jesus? Did you come to judge the world or to save the world, to condemn the world? Or to save the world? Yes. Here's the deal. Like I said, 
Jesus never shied away from confronting false theology and false teaching. If Jesus says that some are saved based on their uh, uh, believing in him and giving their life to him, then at the same time, there are others who are not saved because they have not yet done that. And Jesus said, I will make that call. He never shied away from deciding and calling out those who are in and those who are out in our postmodern, pluralistic culture that we live in today, that is the last thing that any of us want to do. Call someone out for being wrong or not in the right path. You have your way and I have mine, and we can both be right. Right? Not for Jesus. He had no problem calling it out. Church, it is time for a wake-up call. Too many of us remain in this spiritual blindness because of our self-righteousness. We're holding tightly to our membership cards in some kind of Christian club. If we are unwilling to open our eyes to our own spiritual blindness, the Bible says our guilt will remain. Just like the Pharisees, they believed that they and they alone could truly see. Why? Because they were better? Because they were smarter? No, because they did more. And because of all their doing and all their, their tithes and all their ritual and all their traditions and all of their laws, they believed they were the only ones that could see. And Jesus said, it's not about that. You are spiritually blind. And because of that, your guilt remains. Jesus reserved some of his harshest words for folks who would stick around the family of God holding on to these kind of pharisaical beliefs. He said, at that last day, when you call out to me, I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Folks, this week happens to be the Lord's Supper. We celebrate this at our church once a month. It's an opportunity for us to kind of recalibrate and, and come back to that place that God has called us to be. The Bible says every time, Jesus says every time you celebrate this, remember, remember what Jesus taught, remember what Jesus lived, remember the sacrifice he made so that you and I have the opportunity to have eternal life. All of this is wrapped up in this. As we move into that time, please, I want to talk to two specific groups of people. One, those who are broken, who are desperate, who are suffering, and who need healing. You need a miracle. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. Use these moments that we have together to call out to him in desperation, allowing him to move in your life in the same way he moved in the life of this blind man 2,000 years ago. And then secondly, there's another group here. Those who are still spiritually blind. Our world out there is dark enough. Uh, we don't need any more darkness making its way into our church. That's what happened to the Jewish faith 2,000 years ago. It was the blind leading the blind, and it was a train wreck. Our church today, our church in America today is heading in that same direction if we do not allow God to open our spiritual eyes as well. If you sense these blind spots in your own life where you have not fully opened in desperation to Jesus, the powerful moving of the Holy Spirit in your life, please use these next few moments to do that. This time is for you. This is not a tradition that we check off each month. This is an opportunity for us to just listen, 
to God. We'll read out of his word. We'll participate together in the bread and the juice as a remembrance of what he did for us. But in those moments, allow him to call to mind that which he is doing. Don't walk out of here without being changed by the power of God. It changed this guy's life for the rest of eternity. That same power can change your life today. Let's pray. Father God, you are a God of miracles. Over and over and over again in the Old and New Testament, we read about your great and mighty works. Forgive us, Lord, when we misinterpret those works as a quick fix to our self-made problems. And yet, you choose to work powerfully. So God, we pray that you would do that right now in our hearts, first of all. Those of us that are desperate for you, I pray that you would see us and you would hear us. You would wash our eyes and our hearts and allow us to see. And then God, for those who are still spiritually blind, I pray that you would break through that wall, the blind spots that we still have in our spiritual life, Father. I pray that you would tear down, light up, and open our hearts to you. Father, it is my prayer that none of us would leave this place today without that miracle-working power flowing through our spirits. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.